this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I'm Hope Mullinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, a new threat leads Mabel to venture into the enchanted realm of the unicorns. We're talking about Gravity Falls, the last Mabelcorn this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. That's good. Did you like this one? I did like this one a lot, yeah. Yeah, this one's this one's a fun one. I think this is one of the best written episodes, and I think it's one of the few episodes that's written solely by Alex Hirsch. Like you can feel how tight this episode is. It's a tight episode. Tight. It is pretty tight, and very Stan and Fordless for this point in the story. Fordless? Ford's the entire B plot with Dipper. Yeah, but I mean. And we get yeah. pretty much his backstory with Bill. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I ha- I hardly have any notes on that stuff. It's all on the unicorn stuff. <laughs> I was kind of in that too, mostly because it's an information drop. It wasn't. It wasn't a super shocking information drop either. It was very. It it fit in with pretty much what we've been sort of sussing yeah. out and stuff we've been picking up from the journals too. Now, I when this episode was coming out though, like there's so many months in between episodes and stuff like that that like yeah. any, it, it felt like it was a long wait. I think it was like let me I have the Kia up. There was just for example about 2 weeks between these episodes and that's how it would roll and like between Stuff like not what he seems in a tell two stands. There were I think um, like like a month and a half between those episodes, and so when these episodes came out, they felt like they were long waits because we had all this time to sit on them. So anything about Bill felt like it was worth the wait because it wasn't just like what we're doing now where we're just going week by week, which is I, I think makes it a lot. I don't want to say palatable, but it makes it a lot easier to just be like all right well then we'll find out something new it's not like no i have to sit on this new bill knowledge for two months right yeah i don't know i this was a big episode when when it came out because especially because you know for young you know i was in my 20s so i was just like whoa this is all so cool but i think one of the things i like talking with you is because like you're such an old hat at like conspiracy theories and stuff like that this just feels it's interesting to be like, oh, this is playing on so many other things that, like, if if it was, like, you, somebody who's really well-versed in this stuff, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> it's a thing. You want to you hear old-timer conspiracy theory moment I had this week? Huh. And I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. He's a British documentarian. He does BBC documentaries, and they're usually, like, three or four parts, three or four hour-long parts. And I think the last one he did was in when... Trump got around Trump when Trump got elected or around that election year. It might have come out even before Trump got elected, but it was called hypernormalization. Then he did one this year. Uh, I think it's called uh, it's it's I can't get you out of my head. I think is the name of it. He usually takes lyrics from songs for it. 
he takes a lot of similar stuff that's fodder for conspiracy theory, but that's been proven. But, you know, the Kennedy assassination and, and the happenings in Red China through this 50 through the 50s and up into modern day. This one was about like the the emotional state of the world through the la you know how the world's emotions are affected by what's going on in their countries and stuff. And he had uh, the drama with Mao and his wife in in China, and he was doing Nixon and the Black Panthers and stuff like that. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking to myself, mm, if this was a real documentary, they would have the Discordians and Operation Mindfuck right about now. Within one minute, they've got one of the guys who wrote, wrote the, the book of uh, the Principia Discordia given an interview. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, I know that guy. That guy, I bought my Principia Discordia off him. That's the guy who wrote it. He never told me that. And it was this guy that I used to like hang out. I used to hang out at his stand at the Pagan Fest because he always had used books and he had the best used books ever. And yeah, it was the guy <laughs> who came up <laughs> and is responsible for starting the whole conspiracy theory of the Illuminati as it is in its modern form. He really regrets it. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, this is a great documentary. <laughs> I like this series of just like it's the guy I met at the used book stand at the Pagan Festival. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear all about Pagan Festival adventures, go look up our other podcast, Jake Eyes and Jedi, and find our episode for Grievous Intrigue. We talk about that in depth. Someday I'll do a whole podcast on the Pagan Festival because that doesn't do justice. That's just one freak incident, and I don't want people to think that no. that what happened at that Pagan Festival, which I will not describe here on the on because not because of the good taste of this show, but because they should go here. <laughs> because we naturally went into that conversation. It'd be out of yes. place if we just went into it. And how you naturally evolve into that conversation is very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. We started with the weathermen and pudding mm -hmm. as your preview. Yeah, I I would actually love to hear you do like like a short mini series um, of that. I think that would be really fascinating because. Yeah, I, I I do. Yeah, it has it would have everything: druids, voodoo, Wicca, all of them. Church of the Subgenius was the best part. Always Discordians. It makes me wonder if that would be something that my friend Katie would enjoy, because my friend Katie has um, a podcast called Magic and Mythos that she does with her friend Amber, and they discuss the history of magic. And they have all sort uh, oh. all sorts of episodes, like because they're both practic practicing witches. So, like one of the first episodes is like detailing like the magic of Mesopotamia, which is some of the earliest records that we have. They go through the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and then they do like more like normal stuff, like they do like the history of Yule and botanical magic, fire magic, stuff like that. And so, it's a really fascinating podcast that I really, really, really enjoy listening to. Go check out Magic and Mythos with Katie and Amber, and it's fascinating. So I, I wonder if – I can't ever recall Katie ever talking to me about pagan festivals, so I wonder if that's something that she would know about. It, uh, where does she live? I think Portland. Oh, well, there's probably – there's got to be stuff going on. 
out there. The the festival I go to is is a huge one, and she probably has heard about it. And people people travel from around the world to go there, but Portland to there that's a long trip. Yeah, I mean she's from here. Like we were uh, we were college friends. Uh, we d- we're at, we were in Georgia together. to here is a long trip too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the people from down south are are always super happy when they get into a whole bunch of people who are like them because they really it's really dangerous <laughs> i have a friend who's who's pagan wiccan in georgia in rural georgia and she is working hard to be as normal as possible and people still like get on her case i live in the suburbs of georgia and i understand i could not understand living in rural georgia <laughs> like, I... I mean having Having the wrong politics in the South can get you in trouble, but like having the wrong religion is really dangerous, I think. I feel myself. Depends on the area. If you're in the yeah. city areas, you're doing pretty yeah. good, but the further outside of the city areas you get, the more you get into like the danger zone. Um, and yes. I know that from experience because I lived in the suburbs and I've also lived in the country. And it, it's like night and day. Like I actually feel safer in the inner cities of Atlanta than I do in the country of Georgia. I feel much safer. And I mean that as a queer person. I should clarify. No, I just mean that as a person in general. Yeah, like... <laughs> I was just going to say, just as a person in general, well, it depends. Like, yeah, I've had, I've had, yeah, it's a different, well, I have different rural experience. I have rural, northern rural experience. But there's different kinds of danger in rural. But I am also a straight white male in, in rural America, which helps at, at the bottom line. Anyway, <laughs> we should talk about other magical creatures like unicorns. Yes, this this is the opposite of that kind of conversation. Oh, what 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 the hell was her name? Laura. I have no idea what you're referring to. We did we did this at the end. Of, we did this, I think, at the the end of J Guys and Jedi. The the woman the woman who did the 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 pastel notebook. Oh, Lisa and, Frank. Lisa Frank. Yes, I was on the wrong track. I just had an L name. The L name right. Yeah, this is the Lisa Frank episode of uh, of Gravity Falls. I just remember how you were like, Frank, and I was like, and Frank? And you're like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what you're referring <laughs> no, no, to. No. And you're like, you know, the magical unicorns and stuff. I was like, yeah, that's not Anne Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All I knew is that you were looking for a lady with the last name Frank. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you got. I think you got the diary of. I think somebody put the diary of Anne Frank's cover on the wrong book for you, Hope, and you just read the wrong. I think you read no, it like no, that. No, no, I just. You're just like, oh, what's her last name? You know, Frank, and my my mind went to Anne Frank, and then you're like, no, with the unicorns and shit. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not what you meant. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think they were making Anne Frank trapper keepers for high school no. girls. No, no. Anyway, you ready? I am ready. <clears throat> the Last Mabelcorn is the 35th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on September 7th, 2015. I remember when this episode aired because I just got back from Dragon Con that year, and like, I was like, no one talked to me, I must watch Gravity Falls. And I remember watching this episode, and I was exhausted, but I was like, yeah, unicorns, and then I went to bed, because I was, you know, I'd just gone back from Dragon Con. It was written by Alex Hirsch, the director was Matt Braley, and the storyboard artists were Dana Terrace, Vaughn Tada, Sabrina Catugno, Matt Braley, and Miguel Puga. 
some extra information for you. Celestia Bella Bethabel is voiced by Sam Martin. Um, his other works include Over the Garden Wall, Adventure Times, and he's the voice of Pops in Regular Show. I knew it was a guy doing a... Oh, it's voice. very odd. I love that's actually one of my notes. But you that... never know. You never know. Like there's one one of the girls in the octagon theater group, octadecagonagon theater group, can do, uh, ooh, ooh, matronly. You know, matronly, almost Monty Python voice. It sounds like a man doing. She's a woman doing a man doing a woman's voice, and she nails it. So I wasn't sure, but I was like, it would be way funnier if it was a guy. If it actually was a guy. And, you know, I'm too lazy and, and forgetful by the end of the episode to actually check the credits to <laughs> to, to, to check. I, I always get it from Hope in the... Do you normally watch the opening credits or do you skip them? I always watch opening credits of shows like this because I always figure there's there's a chance of something different being popped in there. The only time I really fast forward through opening credits of shows is when they're like... A, like a two minute segment, you know, the ones that have just a long. I know people used to watch Game of Thrones, like they would watch the credits every time because it would get them all pumped up. But I was always just like, rip, and like always knew right where to go to where, like, you just hear the last couple notes of it and be like, okay, now I'm watching it. See, when it came to, like, Game of Thrones, and I'll tell you in a minute why I asked this question, um, I, I always enjoyed watching the credits of Game of Thrones because I always liked the whole, like, building of the model, and it also told you, like, yeah. where everybody was and kind of... There's a lot of stuff in there, yeah. And yeah. it was and it was different. They, they, they changed it as things, you know, there was stuff to yeah. pick up in it. And, and it did change, and it, like, depended on, like, where you were, and so you could actually kind of tell, like, who the episode was going to be about because sometimes right. they'll be like, we're in... What is the 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 land of the 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 snake ladies? I can't remember what their names were. Um, the or Ordells. Uh, I'm sorry. I after season eight, I just completely pushed Game of Thrones out of my brain, except for Pedro Pascal, who's brilliant. Uh, what was I saying? The reason I was asking because when we get to the three part finale of Game of Thrones, I highly suggest watching the opening credits. They're excellent, and that's all I will say. You mean of Gravity Falls? Yes. What did I say? Okay, not, you said Game of Thrones. I'm like, when are we that doing too. Game of Thrones? Hope that's a <laughs> Not a cartoon. I mean, there's parts of it that, that could count as a cartoon, but... Yeah. No, no, of Gravity Falls. I highly yes, suggest yeah. uh, watching the credits. It's heavily speculated with fans that Celestia Bella Bethabel is named after Princess Celestia from My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and the three stars on her hindquarters are very similar to Rarity's cutie mark in the show. Though, when asked by a fan on Twitter if the episode was a nod to the series My Little Pony, Alex Hirsch said, Nah, it's a reference to this classic, where he then had a picture of the last unicorn. And he went on to say, The unicorns was hilariously arrogant and constantly annoyed by everything. I partially believe that, but there was some there was some My Little Pony. They had to. As someone who watched every season of My Little Pony, there yeah, is they had so to. much fucking My Little Pony in this. Yeah. From, like, points of Mabel's dialogue. Just didn't want to talk about My Little Pony. He was just like, yeah, yeah, we that's that's obvious, but The Last Unicorn. He knows people have watched not My Little Pony, but hardly anybody's watched The Last Unicorn. That was a hard movie to watch when it came out. It didn't show up very much. I still have never seen it. Yeah, uh, neither have I. It's been on my list for a long time. I hear it's great. And I mostly, yep. well, let me take that back. I mostly hear that it's great because that's Danny Sexbang from Graham Crump's favorite movie of all time. So he's constantly talking about The Last Unicorn. So 
it's one of those books like The Little Prince that people the 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 book was like it's a little slim volume but people put it almost on a or like Jonathan Livingston Seagull it's on like a high pillar of pop philosophy sort of story you know and I think the last unicorn was more centered towards kids and like The Little Prince or something but yeah apparently it's really dark. Yeah, it's. I guess it's really sad. I guess it's a. I guess there's a a lot of the tears have been shed over the last unicorn. Oh, maybe we'll have to cover it on Homie's Girls Watch Cartoons. And what it is that episode will be? We make each other watch this movie that neither of us seen. <laughs> if we can find it, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'll, we I'll can see. Try I'll see if I can dig it up just out of curiosity. It's on my list. Of, it's on my list of shame. So. Yeah, yeah, mine too. To go back to My Little Pony, when Dipper and Mabel decide to play a board game at the beginning of the episode. Zipper says that it would take about 21 minutes to play, which is the runtime of the show. And the reason I note this is because My Little Pony made a very similar joke in their 100th episode, Slice of Life. And it's actually probably my favorite joke of the series. The, their 100th episode is where all the background characters are the main characters, and the main characters are the background characters for the episode. So you're actually focused on everybody else. So there's this one shot where they're looking at the main cast, who are all whispering together, and they're like, huh, I wonder what's wrong. And one of the ponies says, I don't know, but I bet it's a friendship problem that can be fixed in 21 minutes. <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes of the entire show. See, I think this was almost like a low-key Jum- there were Jumanji joke. In- there is a low-key Jumanji joke. But- well, there is, there's an actual Jumanji joke in there, but I think that line also, the the it would take 22 minutes to play was almost it was almost like a joke like they were going to do an episode that was like Jumanji and that would sort of hint towards like yeah we're going to play the, and then we'll, we'll go into the Jumanji world and it's the length of an episode but i think it was just sort of like second degree joke yeah i mean i love that the Jumanji board game is called what's the worst that could happen <laughs> yeah what could go wrong yeah something like that There were other good deeds planned in production for Mabel, but they had to be cut for time. Some of these deeds were changing car tires, giving an apology letter to Gideon for putting him in jail. And you can actually find the storyboard of it, and there's a sweater that says, wait it out, but it has weights on it. (laughs) He looks so unamused by getting this sweater. Saving Lazy Susan's cat from a tree, writing an apology letter to Pacifica about how she started the rumor that her butler picks her nose for her, and chasing down a garbage truck for a plastic bottle she didn't recycle. What would have been funny is when they should have done the letter to Pacifica, Pacifica would be reading the letter, and when then they pull back, the butler has like a silver nose picker that he's just like putting up her nose. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny. Um, and then half a joke that was cut is when Mabel moves the two snails off the sidewalk, the original joke ended with a dog eating them. <laughs> and she looks horrified at it. There's storyboards of all of this, and they're great. So the fight between Mabel and the ladies versus the unicorns was originally done and was originally included in the episode and was fully animated, but it was cut due to time constraints. And you can find this clip archive on the Gravity Falls crew Tumblr, with, which the account is still up and running. And I sent you the clip. Did you see it? Yes, I did, and I want to say that the streaming place that I saw it, I don't know if that's where you watched it again, might have had a version where they'd cut that back in, because I, I was watching it, and I'm like, I've seen, I, I thought this was all in there. 
Mm-mm. So I might have seen a version where somebody cut that back, cut that footage back into it or something. Maybe because Wendy in that is voiced by, I believe, Matt Braley in that scene. They held everything but the audio recording because they it just didn't make it to re- that recording session. It's either Matt Braley or Alex Hirsch, but I believe it's Matt Braley because it doesn't sound like Hirsch. But yeah, it, it's just, it's a 10 second clip and it was just one of those things that got trimmed for time with them punching the unicorns. Grinda has Celestia Bella Bethabel in a headlock and just punching her. It's hilarious. Even without it, like, the the way they cut it is still funny. Yeah, and you can imply what happens. By, by not showing it was still a good joke, too. Dipper's thoughts while the thought machine is running. I decided to look them up because I think it's a really fun stream of consciousness that really sums up Dipper. So these are his thoughts in order on the machine. Oh man, I can't believe I'm with the author. Gosh, I hope no one was looking. Maybe if I cross my legs, no one will notice. I'm kind of hungry, but I could also not eat. I should really try the president's key sometimes. I could probably rob a bank. I miss Tyrone. Man, that red bathing suit. Is my fly down? Disco girl, coming through. Windy, 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 windy. Oh, it's so hard. I've been here forever. Eeny, meeny, miny, you. Does Ford like me? Is Bill indestructible? What's his secret? Who stole the capers? Why does he have to be so mysterious about Bill? I can handle the truth. I wonder what great uncle Ford is thinking. Use the machine. It will show you his thoughts. Just a peek. He wants your help. He just doesn't know it yet. Yes, you are. Good observation, Dipper. Astute, I'd say. I'm itchy. Why am I always itchy? Will I be itchy forever? I hope Ghost Raster's last another few seasons. Stan needs to hide his magazine collection better. I hope Ford's not looking too closely at these thoughts. Try not to think of nothing. Ugh, I thought of something. (laughs) Dipper's thoughts. And I thought they were brilliant. (laughs) When you read them in like a stream of consciousness form, it's just like, yes, this is Dipper Pines as a character and one like column of thoughts. (laughs) I got that in my notes and Wendy's still there. Still there. (laughs) Wendy. (sighs) Yes, 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 yes. And I will have a lot to say about that next week's episode. I'll I'll gloat about that because I was saying she's still in there. But I also will have to retract one of my predictions this week. And I almost thought I was going to get to gloat about it in the story. Aww. Well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is broken into parts. Part one, we'll talk about the story themes and character. Part two, we'll talk about Dipper's journal entries. Part three will be the ciphers and connections to previous episodes. And part four will be Chris's Speculations Corner. And this week, we have a comment from a listener that we'll have to get to as well. I've been sitting on this one because it's related to the episode, so. All right, Chris, what was your favorite parts? Uh, Necronomicanopoly. <laughs> I thought you would like that. I have unicorn laughing eyes, but I don't remember what that means. <laughs> Whenever Celestia Beth about the bell laughs, um, her eyes sparkle. Is that it? That must be it. She goes, <laughs> The gnome bar nasties, spelled with a G-N. And the panicking fawn, which I don't remember exactly oh, what context. Because um, they knock out... Chris watched this a week ago, but I had to very suddenly not record last week, so please bear with us. They had knocked out Celestia Beth the Bell with the fairy dust. And the fan then quickly, like, uh, voices, like, SOS out on his little pan flute before Grinda grabs him and, like, uh, 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 not mace, but it's where you, like, cover their face um, with a cloth, and they knock out, chloroformed him. Like, hoods him? <laughs> yeah, like, chloroforms him. And then oh, chloroforms him. him, that's right. <laughs> and then I drag him away. Yeah, there was some definite sketchiness going on in there. (laughs) My favorite part is right at the beginning when Mabel hugs her stuffed unicorn and it says, Princess Levicorn says, buy my 42 accessories. (laughs) 
I love Grinda's deep druid chanting. It's such a good moment, and it's hilarious. It sounds like the Tuvan throat singers. I know. There's so many good one-liners in this episode, and one of my absolute favorite is when they first arrive to the Unicorn Realm, and Mabel's Mabel and Grinda are like, we've journeyed far and wide. Yeah, about an hour! <laughs> There's so many good one-liners. Um, and finally, it's one of my favorite moments. And this moment, like, like went around Tumblr for a good couple weeks, and it still pops up from time to time, is Wendy's line of, it's time we stop being so perfect and be who we really are. We're crazed, angry, sweaty animals. We're not unicorns. We're women, and we take what we want! <laughs> I don't think Wendy was ever the perfect... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I have this broken down into the two plots. So I have the A plot and the B the A plot being with Mabel and the B plot being with Thor and Gipper. Which would would you just like to do one than the other? We'll just go one through the other. I'll work my stuff off yours. So we'll start with the unicorns. Just in general, this is probably such a good episode mixing the two plots together because they start together, they diverge, and then they come back together. And we don't usually get that a lot in Gravity Falls. Usually it's like one or the other. So it's a really good mixing of the two plots, and this is one of the tightest written episodes of the entire show. The reason I love that Wendy lied, and the reason it went around the internet, and I remember, like, because this was the age of Tumblr, and, like, everyone was just like, fuck yeah, and I saw that Wendy gif everywhere, and I would read, like, people's think pieces about it, is this episode does a really good job, like, taking a look at, like, womanhood as a whole using the story of the finding a unicorn plotline and it really breaks down the entire narrative that like women are these like really pure of heart beings and then i love that it just ends in a brawl with the ladies they had to be careful with this one because they were hitting on a, a like a, even with a unicorn adult thing like pure at heart is all that blah 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 it, it was it's always been a virgin you know, but, you know, we're not going to go into anybody's virginity in this show. Almost everybody, everybody younger than Grunkle Stan, you know, without kids. is. You know what this, the, the whole womanhood thing made me think, though? Hmm. You know who they should have brought to the unicorn? Yeah. Because they were, they, they never specify, and this is a, what I thought might happen, I but they never specified that it had to be a maiden that was pure at heart or anything. They just had to be someone pure at heart. Why didn't they bring Seuss? Oh, uh, because I, I see what you're saying, and I understand why you're saying, like, logically. Seuss would have been, so, uh, but at the same time, it takes what, away we the the, narrative. what we know of the story, Seuss would have failed, too. Anybody would have failed. But, like, yeah. if I was going to have to grab somebody in my, in that, in that friend circle that was pure of heart, it would be Seuss, you know? He yeah. is definitely the most, like, purely motivated of everybody, the, the definite moral pillar Jiminy Cricket sort of, he's a Zen character. I just thought that would be funny as if one of the twists was that, that it was Seuss all along. Seuss just kind of says like, hey, what are you guys doing? And the unicorn's like, oh, pure, you know? <laughs> I almost half expected that to happen. I, I get what you're saying, logically, and I think it would be funny. It's just not the story being told. You know, it's a Mabel episode. Right, right. They could have still slipped that in as a gag. If they had to take out eight seconds of unicorn fighting, they this is a, a very packed episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, like especially because it's so much of it is breaking down the whole like finding a unicorn trope, which is a tell of like womanhood. Because like so many people are like 
they want these like perfect expectations of like women and like how women have to be pure and kind and like have to be their best versions of themselves at all time, which is what Mabel's story is. She gets challenged, and when she when Seabeth, I'm just gonna call her Seabeth for short, when Seabeth challenges Mabel's pure of heart, Mabel is the heart of the series. She, like, Dipper's the mind, she is the heart. So she is challenging Mabel's entire identity. <laughs> it's it's a moment for her because it's a moment where Mabel has to kind of stop and just go like, no, I'm fine the way I am. I'm not going to live up to your expectations or the expectations of anybody else because I'm fine. I have my people. Grinda, Candy, and Wendy are my people. I have my family and I'm my brother. I don't have to live up to your expectations because I'm happy the way I am. And I think that's a really powerful story that a lot of kids need, especially when you look at her group. Candy, Grinda, and Wendy are not perfect girls, you know? I mean, Grinda opens the gateway with Druid chanting. Candy, you know, like, to make, put, like, forks on her fingers. And, like, Wendy was raised by a family of lumberjacks. Like, these are not your ideal, like, stereotypical, like, perfect women. And they're all great, amazing characters, and they don't have to live up to, like, any kind of expectations at all. I love this lesson. It's such a good lesson, especially in a, in a kid's show. The way the unicorns reveal it, too, it just sort of low-key, like, says, yeah, there's also no way. I mean, they sort of spell it out. They sort of, like, on a kid show, it's pretty funny. They pretty much verbalize moral relativity. <laughs> and But it pretty much low-key says, yeah, there's no way of determining whether someone's pure at heart. And not even a unicorn can do it. So, yeah, don't sweat it. It's, it's all comes down to, like, being judgmental. And actually, I have that note is I love Wendy calling Seabeth a judgmental hoofbag. <laughs> It also shows Mabel that, like, you can't just go out and start ticking boxes to be a good person either. And when you do start doing that, it actually ends up kind of tragic, <laughs> despite what you you want. Better to just be driven by good intentions than by consciously, like, I'm going to tack up some karma points. And, and I think there's also, like, the difference between getting the approval of society versus the people you love. Because Wendy flat out says, Maple is the best person she knows. Like, and she flat out says that. And it's not that, like, Mabel is seeking approval from, we're going to use the unicorns as society. And when all she really needed was the approval of the people who loved her most. And those people already accepted her, and they were they were the ones that were going out of their ways. And, and I, I do want to touch on that. This is a really great episode for Wendy, especially Wendy. I love Wendy in this episode, but Candy and Grinda as well. I like that we get this girl's trip where it's just them on their own and the four of them. And Wendy really shines to me because, to, to me, this is probably her best episode because she's fully in that older sibling role. She's making sure that Mabel and the girls are okay, and she's also there to teach and to guide them. And she's the one from the beginning going, don't get your hopes up on this unicorn thing. There's, this is weird. I don't like it. You guys, we need to come up with a plan. This is hurting Mabel. We need to take care of Mabel. Let's go do this thing. Now we're back and we're celebrating Mabel's punching a unicorn. <laughs> like, Wendy is so good in this episode and that older sibling role. I also just like when Mabel punches a unicorn, Wendy's first reaction is her going, Woo! I know you, because we talked about this uh, on Facebook. I Speaking of uh -huh. the girls uh, coming together for Mabel and helping her out as a friend, I know you have some thoughts about the whole gnome bar and the drug deal scene. Yeah, it's it's really fun to watch. For one, I'm watching it and I'm like, this is a kid's show. Flat out say this is a Disney, Disney kid show. Just wait till we get to 
Avatar, and then we get to have fun discussions about genocide, Chris. That's the wacky, wacky culture we live in. Genocide is something that's like, well, you know, we have shows with drug dealing and drug busts, but it's also something like genocide is never portrayed in cartoons as a solution, (laughs) a good solution. You know, it's always presented as the worst thing ever, which is which is good because it pretty much is. But like with this one, okay, so they they, they were doing a, a joke that's almost a little more family guy. On the level of like, you know, we got to get the fairy dust to knock out the unicorn, but fairy dust is illegal. So we have to do this transaction where we bring the, the, the moths to the gnome and he gives us a fairy dust that he's acquired somehow. And I'm going, this is sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> this is a drug deal. These, they have to do a drug deal to get their, their stuff. And then when the drug deal happens, it turns out that they were all they were working with the, the forest police. Yeah. <laughs> and they were informants and busted, busted everybody. But then it was portrayed as not a bribe, but there was a bribe to the, the, <laughs> the forest police of one of the two bags of fairy dust. <laughs> sketchy 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 but all to avoid them being actual drug dealers they did it within still within the laws of the forest i guess an analog to our laws what a strange way to to do that almost like as them being undercover cops it was just it was just strange it was funny it was hilarious it was just it was just very surprising to see it in in a children's show I started thinking about this and I was like, I think the age range of this is like middle school. Like that's the target age range. And middle schoolers are in that great time where they're starting to get introduced to like the like more mature like books and stuff like that and shows yeah. and stuff. But they're not like babies. They're, they're listening to rap music with stories about drug, drug dealers. I, I'm not worried. Like I like that's the funny thing is. I don't think of it as like, oh, what a bad lesson for kids if you did the joke a different way or you'd have to do it this way. But I think, especially since it's Disney, that's the thing. They they bent over a little extra than they had to, which they're making sure they cover all their bases in case anybody complained about it. But it's funny. So if somebody complained, I could just see the complaint. They say, well, no, actually, they weren't drug dealers. So they, they actually were working with the police and did the right thing <laughs> and stuff. But it's more of like Hirsch and... Those guys having to cover their ass for Disney, who's trying to cover their ass from the public. It's all really not necessary, but it's just funny that it gets, that it happens. And it's fantastically on the nose because it was the cop that was corrupt the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, we still can't have gay ladies. Everybody was corrupt. That, uh, That goes with the story, though. Everybody was corrupt. But just on a on a sliding scale. <laughs> but everybody dipped their bill in there a little bit. That's actually really interesting that you like now that in that context, because isn't that what kind of society is? Like society is corrupt. Like and I'm speaking about our society now, not Gravity Falls. But uh, our society is corrupt on a sliding scale, depending on who and where and what you are. Everybody has some level of corruption, and it goes back to the whole like there's no type of like pure being. As somebody who has had his, I, <laughs> I've been, I've been arrested by undercover cops and been through that system. It's like, yeah, everybody was dirty, dirty, dirty. There was all everybody. Di- there was dirtiness going on on all levels. I mean, no one's a saint. I mean, something I 
barely ever talk about that I, I, you know, I'll share it here. I was the other woman in a relationship in college. (laughs) Yeah, and the... The other person was a friend of mine, and she never found out unless her boyfriend told her, which I'm not aware of because she never approached me about it. Does she listen to this podcast? I'm not going to say her name, but I was the other woman in a relationship. Like, we all do shitty things. Like, nobody is very pure, and that was one of the most shittiest things I've ever done in my entire life, and I regret it. I highly regret it, especially with the guy it was, (laughs) because whatever. But it sucks. You know, and we all do shitty things and we have to live with our mistakes because there's no such thing as a pure being. And it's on that slide, sliding scale of corruption. I was young and stupid and not knowledgeable and forced my way in and I shouldn't. Yeah. And all the people who do think they're pure beings are just somewhere down the line are going to hopefully figure out all the. Yeah. And <laughs> I learned they, from that it. It was terrible that they didn't realize because they thought they were incredibly pure, too. And I will say, I, I learned so much from that situation. You know, I learned so much about myself. I have for sure grown from it. I and it, was, and it sucked. It was, it was a horrible time. I don't. Okay, this is gonna sound mean, but let me explain. I don't feel as much guilt as I used to because she broke up with that guy. And now she's remarried and happy with kids. So neither of us are in that place. And I've I have contemplated it for like an, over a decade now whether I should not. I should ever tell her, and I'm not. Because she's not with that guy anymore. No, no, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would just be shitty, but it would it'd be for me and my clear consciousness, and that'd be selfish of me just to clear my own conscience. Well, yeah, and I gotta tell you, I've had people clear their conscience on conscience on me, and if it helped, if it made them feel better, that's great. But I every time that it's somebody cleaning their conscience on me, I, it hasn't made me feel better or worse about it, or it it's. Yeah, I I could do or do without it. So it's I don't think it's often it is it's more it it would be more for your own. Yeah, it's you know. it, it would be a selfish reason for yes. me to clear my own conscience. It would be selfish of me, and so it you know it's it's something I've moved on from, and she, I know she's moved on from because I've seen her at conventions with her lovely husband. That's not the other guy, and we're just not there anymore. And they all it would do is just open something up, and it would not work. Chris, I have to clear my conscience on you. You're an awesome, <laughs> you're an awesome pod, podcast partner. I, just, I had to let you know. I just had to clear my conscience. Thanks. I could take it or leave it, though, Hope. <laughs> I could take or leave myself. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you feel better. Uh, <laughs> Why well, you don't have to sit on that anymore. That's the summary of my life. I could take or leave myself. Whatever. <laughs> hope, I got to clear my conscience. I've been, I've been, I've been, um making it sound like you fart in J-Guys and Jedi shows for the last three years. I'm not surprised. J-Guys eh, and Jedi's. That's right. I have fun. a whole folder full of hope farts that I've collected off the internet. Well, they're not actual hope farts, but that's what I that's what I use them for. I farted loudly at least one time that I remember. I don't remember the other time. <laughs> so loudly that it made me laugh going into the intro, and I couldn't stop laughing, and I got left in. I was laughing too hard. I think it made a reappearance at the very end of the show, too. <laughs> sort of bookends. Anyway, back to Gravity Falls. What did you think about the unicorns? Uh, they're the monster of the week. They could have been very annoying, but they were hilarious. I'm glad they, they, they made them into total assholes. Uh, it was fun. I mean, it's it's sort of an obvious joke to do it because they're all like, uh, but they, they did it really well because they did it like they were going to do it in a certain way 
and then they gave it another twist at the end. So it was just, it was really nice. I liked it where they were like, yeah, we can't tell if you're pure at heart. And she does the perfect, like, narrow her eyes and look at him and go, guys, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> it's nay. I, I love them, too. It's kind of like, you know, we've been through all these, like, monsters and these weird things. Like, na- like unicorns feel like the natural thing that was missing to have a unicorn story. The only other thing is maybe vampires. And we know that Mabel had an off-camera adventure with a vampire from the Mermando episode. Because she's like, I had an adventure with a vampire. And Dipper was like, when did that happen? And she's like, I don't tell you everything. <laughs> Still one of the best moments. But yeah, like, unicorns just felt like such a like a natural fit. And I agree. I, I love that they're assholes too. And Seabeth just makes the best faces. And just all the like the dumb things like I have a two o'clock standing in front of a rainbow. <laughs> and I like that they don't try to make her like sound majestic or anything. She's just clearly voiced by a dude. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just it's like one little chink in the armor. You know, it could just be a gag or something, but yeah, it's hilarious. Because they, they could have because DuckTales did an episode with, oh, what are they called? Seahorse. Like, they're seahorses, but not like a seahorse. They're mystical seahorse. What are they called? Kelpsies? Kelp, Kelpie? Uh, DuckTales did an episode with Kelpies, and so they were these very horse-like, cute, cute horse-like beings, and they actually got two of the voice actresses from My Little Pony. They got Tara Strong and, oh, the voice actress of Fluttershy, whose name is slipping my brain. And so that was funny because those, they ended up being evil. So you have these, like, evil versions of the My Little Pony ponies in a DuckTales episode. So, like, Gravity Falls could have gone that way because, you know, My Little Pony was at its height when these episodes were airing. So they could have done one joke to where they brought in, like, one of the My Little Pony voice actresses to be Celeste of Bethel Bethel, which would have been a different kind of joke. But I like that they were just like, now nah, it was just moisture by a dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a different kind of joke because both are funny in their own way. Because I just remember watching the DuckTales episode going, they sound so familiar. And then one of them said something very specific. And I was like, that's fucking Fluttershy. <laughs> and then the other one's Twilight. Oh, God. <laughs> and it was hilarious in a different way. But that's all I really have about the unicorns. Did you have anything else? No. All right. Well, let's move to the D plot with, or the D plot, the B plot with Dipper and Ford. These are much longer notes. <laughs> A lot of these notes to me was kind of like breaking down like character moments and stuff. So we open this with in Ford's dreamscape, um, the opening of the episode. He's having this dream and Bill visits him. I like that there are similarities between Ford's dream and Stan's dream because both of their, because Stan's dreamscape and scape dreamscaperers um also had a swing set at it ford also has the broken stand of warship from their childhood so these things like that notes that these things are still very important to ford at this time well plus also bill has gotten peaks of both of those things that's probably true through both of them and so they were probably getting some leakage into their dreams with bill that's you know, that's what I was sort of liking about it is it was it shows you that Bill is just like has to can't really do anything in our he has to be brought into our dimension to do anything. So he can only sort of poke in on a dream, but he's poking in from his other dimension. So he's sort of like melding in with the dream, hinting that dreams take place in a slightly different dimension or closer to another dimension. That's so interesting that it just threw out the rest of the note. 
<laughs> because I oh, never th- no, I never thought about that way of because because the rest of the note was me talking about the broken string swing set from Stanstream versus Forge Dream where the swing set is intact, and it was just me like analyzing like you know Stan thing as their relationship is broken, but Ford is in a much better place with Stan. It also could have meant that Ford was gone. And, and that that's one of the notes, too, is that it could have been, you know, Ford was gone and that's why it was broken. But I like what you said about it actually could be Bill leaking their dreams together. That's a really interesting thought that I never really considered before. I like that, that he's pulling things from Stan's dream into Ford. Interesting. I really like that. My notes suck. Yours is better. <laughs> I've spent more time in other dimensions, Hope. Well, I went back in time. No, you will go back in time. And you have gone back in time, and you've got, and you're going back in time. Once we get into the quantum, quantum view of it, yes. <laughs> Obviously, you've already done it because the photographs exist, but we do have photographs. Yeah. You need to explain what this is from, because I just realized um, this is not a J guys and Jedi thing. This is a two tier freaks thing. This is a, uh, this is how Hope eventually gets a time machine. There, it's two stories. There was a story. I forgot that, what episode. It was a Dragonborn episode. Yeah, start at the beginning. You're just I don't. You've never you never told the story on this show. So start on the I've beginning. Had, I had two. I'll, I'll try to do the quick Reader's Digest version of the the story. At one point, I had a band that we used to play at this street festival in the suburbs here every year, and we were playing there one year, and it's a very white suburb and the bass player in our band was black and he was quite often the only black person in the whole like on the stage in the crowd and so we had a tradition of just coming out and opening our concert with hello white people and so we were playing and these two guys that looked just like an older version of me and him walked up to the stage and were just like watching the band and laughing and just sort of having a really fun time of like pointing and and sort of like making fun of us and at the end of the show i'm like did you notice that our doppelganger showed up and he's like yeah and we're like time machine that's definitely i guess when we get a time machine we're traveling back to see this concert then fast forward a couple years to dragon con what 2008 or 9 one of those years scott and i had two star wars panels one in the afternoon like at noon and the next one was at midnight and that's where we met Hope was at the noon. Yeah, it was the Clone Wars panel. And we were at both panels. We took pictures of the, you know, several pictures of the crowd. And it was two very different crowds. The the noon one had was stocked full of kids. And the midnight one was Star Wars adult themes. It was very J-Guys and Jedi <laughs> topics. Any adult topics that could be gleaned from Star Wars at the time. And so the audience was filled with a lot of adults. It was definitely more of a nighttime crowd. Maybe people had had a few drinks and stuff. So it was a distinct pictures of the two crowds. And and I remember putting a Photoshop together when we released the recordings of them. And I'm like, oh, there's Hope in this pit. And I'm like, oh, that's the nighttime crowd. I didn't know Hope was there at night. And then I mentioned something to you like I wasn't there. I couldn't make it to the, the midnight one. I never I didn't see it. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. And I sent you the picture, and you're like, I don't think that's me. That doesn't look quite like me, and it looks too old. And I'm like, time machine. And like after I started thinking about it, I'm like, who would we get? Who would I give a time machine to? I'd give a time machine to Hope. She'd probably be more responsible with it than I would. 
And the in the picture, you're looking in the camera and and throwing a peace sign at the camera. You have friends with you too. There was actually a time like I don't know, like a few years into us knowing each other, and like this came up, and I was like, huh, like time machine. And like you started talking about how you had what who was it Ray Bradbury's notes, and you were like buds with him before his death, was it? Sort of buds. I had I got to I had emails back and forth with him. So yeah. Was- and, like, you were, like, getting all these, like, time-traveling notes, and, like, it hit me, and, like, you were doing this thing about, like, how you could, like, actually build a, a Starship Enterprise eventually, and you had had a jo- <laughs> and you had made a joke about, like, you should brush, brush up on your dead languages and stuff like that, and then it hit me, I was like, Chris is actually trying to send me back in time! <laughs> He's actually- I'm not gonna build this. the time machine, I know that, I know that it's gonna get handed to me, it's, or I'm gonna luck into it, or I'm gonna conk some guy on the head or something. There'll be, like, some huge event happening, and I'll be like, whoa, this is messed up, and then I'll see a time machine, op- you know, I'll be like, there wasn't a phone booth there a minute ago, and I'm like, oh my god, somebody came in a- time machine to observe this event and then i'll go and just jump into it <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually really did like, like about the time i don't know like it's a few years into our friendship i was like 24 25 ish I, I had that moment of like chris is actually trying to send me back in time <laughs> i got the pictures you know i got the pictures and i and i cannot tell you how much those two people look like me and my friend and how much they acted like the two of us would if we went to see ourselves in concert. We would be laughing our asses off. And I've seen the picture of uh, the other one. Like, you, it really could be me, like, in another few years. Like, they're very similar. Um, yeah. I can definitely see where – because at the time, like, when you first showed me this, I was, like, what, like 22 or something like that, 23. Right. Like, now that's right. 33, to, like, looking back, I was like, yeah, that could be me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will go back in time soon. I don't know. It looks like you're there with like a couple. It looks like you're there with a guy and a and a girl. <gasps> Maybe it's Megan and Lauren. Well, you, yeah, I'll, I'll dig the picture out. Maybe you would have recognized them, probably though. I didn't know Lauren at the time because I didn't. <laughs> Megan hadn't met her husband yet. Oh, okay. I'll I'll dig up that picture. It's probably it's probably in the photos on the Two Two Freaks page too. Yeah, we could probably find it. Anyway, that's the story about how I'm a time traveler. How how hope gets a time machine. We'll keep you informed in the podcast. If yeah. So, what did you think of, to bring us back to Gravity Falls, of the Dipper and Ford plotline? Because there's a lot of information dropped. I, I gotta tell you, this part of the, the, the thing did not stick in my... I haven't... I made no notes on all of it, because the information drop was helpful to the plot, but it wasn't anything super, like, revelatory. There was a lot of talk when we just knew the author, when, the, when you'd, like, read bits of the author where he would be like... I trusted Bill. <laughs> I shouldn't have trusted Bill. So this sort of gives us a more flushed in version of that story. It was interesting, but like I really was more drawn in by the by the unicorn story. That's so weird because this is the this is the part that this it, it would think that like the A plot would have been the the hope part and this the B part would have been the Chris part and look at these notes. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. Uh, it's not that I. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just that it didn't. It. It. Yeah. And mine is more like not really the plot. It's more just like character breakdowns too. All right. Well, in that case, I'll start on my notes. So back when we were talking about sock opera, 
our lovely guest, Allie. Um, Allie and I had noted about when Bill complimented Dipper. That's when Dipper let his guard down and Bill mm-hmm. was able to get like weasel his way in. And the reason I noted that, and I was like, just put a pin on that point, is because we see a very similar thing happen with Ford. You know, Bill compliments him. He's like, you're the smartest person I've met, and you're great, and I want to help you, and I'm amused. And Ford's like, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a power dynamic, and, yeah, yeah. and it's it's like meeting a celebrity. If somebody that you like know is like, or you know, if you're someone like Dipper or Ford, and you're meeting an interdimensional being that's like a one-dimensional triangle person with a top hat, you're pretty amazed by that fact. And if they're all of a sudden like talking up, yeah, it's very very seductive. And the reason I wanted to note it is. I like that moment because it shows the similarities with Ford and Dipper, but this is also where Dipper and Ford differ. Uh, Dipper? Differ. (laughs) Dipper and Ford differ. Where Dipper and Ford differ? That. Ford is very much a lone hero archetype. Um, He feels like he has to take on everything with himself, and he has purposely isolated himself multiple times. We saw that in A Tale of Two Stands when he was like, when he hid away from the world, he pushed Fiddle Ford away. And he purposely isolated. He's been doing that since he's gotten back, and he's just now starting to really open up to Dipper about stuff. Dipper is different because he has Mabel for one. Like, he has his twin who he has a really strong relationship with. He has Stan who has gone out of his way to protect these kids. He has Susie, he has has their friends. And the difference is Dipper has shared the adventures with him. They've gone on adventures with Stan and Susan and Wendy and, of course, Mabel from the beginning. And that's where he differs from Ford, where Ford just took it all on himself to be like, I'm the lone hero type and I'm the smartest one in the room and I'm going to be taking this on myself. Dipper has shared the burden. So there's no way that he could he's he's actually handling it a lot better because whatever he can't do, he has a reliable um what's the word? The people who hold you up, that take care of you, support you, support he has a support group to help him out. Support system, system. yeah. System, that's the word that was left in my mind. Support system. It's it's funny because from Ford's point of view, a lot of like oh, his trouble comes from Stan, but it really comes from not like trusting and working with Stan and having the relationship with. And that's really where he keeps going wrong is doing things on his own. That's that's his weakness. And it's been like his downfall all the way since he's he basically split from Stan. Dipper is that bridge. He's got a lot of Stan in him, and he's got a lot of Ford in him. But Ford sees that uh, Ford's impressed that Dipper has experienced a lot of the same things he did, except as a kid, and is still alive, <laughs> and is basically sort of doing a layman's version of of Ford's work. And but the only reason Dipper was able to do that is because of the existence of his, his support system and his trust. There's ups and downs, but he d- generally was never casting off, you know, his support system like Ford was. So that's how Ford's going to figure it out eventually, you know, is through this family, be- being able to integrate into this family. And what I find also interesting, Ford clearly likes Mabel. He loves Mabel. He likes that she's weird and stuff like that. But he's not pulling Mabel into, the, like, the knowledge circle. Like, he starts to at the beginning, but then she goes off on her unicorn adventure. And he's confiding everything in Dipper, which is kind of a isolating Dipper a little bit. 
they have some, that in common, though. And and that's what you I was know? saying, like, because that's the thing, like, Mabel has also defeated Bill twice. In fact, one of the times in Sock Opera, she just did it all by herself. You know, Bill Dipper was possessed and doing a puppet show while she, right. like, one-on-one with, with Bill. I feel like that, and this is Hope speculating, that the reason that Ford isn't confiding in Mabel as much is because she's so much like Stan. Right, well, no, this is a very, very normal family dynamic is, like, Stan favors, I guess favors is always, it's a word that gets used a lot, but it's not the best word for it, but. He gets along with Mabel. Yeah, they're 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 more they're they're similar in in profound ways in their personality and in Dipper and Ford are similar in yeah Ma- Mabel's Mabel reminds Stan of him when he was young and Dipper reminds Ford of him when he was young. And... That was the whole point of the Dungeons and Dragons episode. Yeah, but that happens a lot in families. I know lots of families with two kids where one kid gets along with the mom, but you know it's not that they don't get along with their other parent, but they like definitely have an affinity towards one parent and the other kid will have an affinity towards the other parent and they'll, they'll have similar hobbies and etc. Oh, I really let's speak cuz we were talking about how like Ford broke away from Stan and everything went downhill from the two of them, but like Mabel and Dipper are still like a team. I need to find it. I read this fascinating article and I'm going to see if I can track it down before we, you know, before we get to the end of the show. Um, not of this episode, but before we finish up Gravity Falls, it was a really fascinating breakdown about breaking cycles in Gravity Falls and how so many people like Ford and Stan and Fiddleford, they're all in these cycles of just their lives. And it's Mabel and Dipper who together are breaking it because they stick together. It was a really good breakdown. I'm going to, I need to see if I can track it down because it made me kind of rethink about that. I was like, yeah, they really are the ones that are breaking down these paths. They're breaking down the relationships of Ford and Stan to each other, but also, like, we know that Ford and Fiddleford have a past. Good old McGucket. Anyway, I st- though with all of this, I still stand by what I said, that I think Ford is putting so much on a 12-year-old, but I'm also an adult watching a kid's show. <laughs> He's putting a lot on a 12-year-old. But he also realizes that at this point, He's already tangled with Bill a couple times. Yeah, twice. He sort of got uh, got sucked into it, yeah. you know, when Ford wasn't around. So it's 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 sort of too late. Dipper's sort of in in the soup. So yeah, absolutely. The only other note I have, and it actually it's it kind of works like on a. I, I was rethinking back on this episode because actually when I was watching this show, the, this season for the first time, I actually really didn't like Ford. It's it I he's grown on me over the years and like rewatches and stuff. Um and the journal certainly helps because the journal is pretty much his backstory. But I actually really didn't like Ford when I was watching this for the first time. I thought he was an asshole. I thought he was mean to Mabel because he pretty much was ignoring her and was just like, Yeah, shovel off so I can have fun with Dipper. Like I I was not a fan. But then I started we get to that scene where Dipper freaks out thinking that Bill is possessing Ford. And that scene works really well. And it dawned on me that the reason that scene works so well is because Ford's only been in three full episodes up to this point. Well, remember, that's where I was going to gloat because I was like, remember, I was like, Ford may not be all he's seen. You know, there might be something riding along with Ford, you know. And and at that point, I was like, okay, this could be this could be it. So, like, watching this for the first time. The reason this works so well is all of our knowledge about Ford is based on three episodes and everyone else. Dipper idolizes him. Mabel wants another fun uncle to love. 
And Stan might be upset, but he clearly cares about his brother because he's just worked 30 years to get his brother back. But we, as a viewer, as Hope and Chris, when I was watching this for the first time and you're watching it now, we have not known Ford that long. And it plays into a really great fear of when and when now I'm talking about Dipper, it plays into that fear of growing up that you can't always trust adults and you can't always trust what they're saying because they're they're very often unreliable narrators, and so you can't always trust them. So I just think that seems really brilliant. And Ford has been in Bill Cipherland, and so yeah, he has it, it's it's set up greatly because he has good reason to be. I was suspicious of him. I just didn't like him. I thought it was a dick. I still think Ford's a dick I like at times. <laughs> well, I'm a dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like Ford now, but I still think he has a, he's a dick at times. I think that scene works on multiple different levels because it plays on Dipper's fear of like realizing that he this person he idolized might be betraying him. It works as the viewer's fear, especially like when you're watching it for the first time of going, yeah, we don't actually know Ford. We don't know him that well. Yeah, the the old pine grandfathers from New Jersey both have to be prickly. That's yeah. just how that's how it's got. And and we've had we've had the last couple seasons to smooth over some of uh, Grunkle Stan's rough spots. Yeah. So it so it like Ford narratively is very good to to add some grit to the characters. It'd be so much different if it was Stan. Like if Stan was in that place, because then like we've had a season and a half to trust Stan, and we love Stan and stuff like that. Yeah, it would be it would be uncharacteristic of Stan at this point, you know. But, so you know, you have Ford just in here going, calling him boy. You know, like boy, come here, and it's just oh, that that scene just works so well, like, <laughs> and it's animated so great because you can never see Ford's eyes until the end of the scene. Like that that scene yeah. is just done really well. But that's all I have for this episode. Did you have anything else? No. All right. So, and this is, uh, f- we're going to go from Ford to Mabel. So the first one is Ford. Nightmares and daymares. Last night I awoke covered in sweat, not because I slept in my clothes. Bill Cipher has decided to pay my mind a visit once more. Although, although the metal plate I got installed in my head prevents Bill from being able to access my thoughts directly, he can still haunt my dreams. Last night, he appeared to me in a wheat field, cackling about the end of times and saying that I will be powerless to prevent his reign. Our family is in danger, and I have to do something about it. I have been hesitant, however, to talk about the rest of the family, the Pines family, about Bill. Even Dipper, who I've grown to trust. I like to believe that this is out of the desire to protect them, but if I'm being honest with myself, it's because I'm ashamed. What would they think if they knew that this was all my fault? My hubris! that conjured Bill in the first place, that he tricked me into creating a portal, that the rift is a direct physical reminder of this terrible deal that I made so many years ago. Would Dipper still look up to me, or would he just consider me a fool? No, I need to tell them everything. Uh, just enough for now. In the meantime, I've sent Mabel on an errand to see if she can also retrieve unicorn hair to protect the shack from Bill's influence. It's a long shot, but it's worth a try. Unicorns! <laughs> Hey there, Mabel here. I just got back from this cray-cray adventure with some unicorns, so Grunkle Ford asked me to write the journal entry about them. He said I'm possibly the only person who's ever defeated one, so I guess I'm basically an expert now. The main unicorn I dealt with was named Celeste Bella Bethabel. I'm pretty sure I spelled that wrong. She was supposed to tell me if I was pure of heart. Instead, she just made a bunch of junk up and was super rude. Turns out that unicorns aren't anything like the storybooks. So here's a handy guide to fact versus fiction of unicorns. To make more horse puns, I'm calling them yays and nays. 
Yays! In the storybooks, their horns are supposed to determine whether you're worthy of friendship and shoot lasers at you if you aren't. In the storybooks, eyes should sparkle with million stars even during the day, which made no sense. In storybooks, if you lick your, their necks, they taste like your favorite flavor in the world. In the storybooks, they love to go on quests and are willing to accompany you and a bumbling wizard companion in an animated PG adventure for the whole family. And in the storybooks, they are always the last one. Nays! But in reality, their horns just play rave music and not even the good kind. It's barely danceable. In reality, they spend like two hours every morning putting on lots of makeup, and I bet it's not even cruelty-free. That is such a funny fucking joke, Alice Hirsch, you silly bitch. In reality, they say super mean and catty stuff. Celestia Betha Betha Bell called Wendy a stretch and told Candy that she was pretty, but not like TV pretty. What the heck? In reality, as it turns out, Nyx just tastes like horses. The only magical thing about Seabeth was her rainbow blood, which I discovered when I punched her in the face. Unicorn weaknesses. Punching them in the face. Also teamwork. Also Grenda. That's where we are. I have to say this, though, because I'm often saying that Ford's a jerk. I like his, and especially what I just read, his change. Because he has that moment, like, after the portal where he was just pretty much blaming McGucket for the mistakes. He was like, it was his fault. He was so tired. It was the weekend. And I'm not going to, but I'm going to do this thing. Blah. And then, like, later on, he's like, nah, it was my fault. It's my own hubris. I put us in this position. And I like, and that that's the one thing I will say that's missing from the show that the journal does really well. But that's not a good thing because it's missing from the show. Is it really does show Ford's character. But again, we're, we have so little about him, and I will go ahead and say, this is my biggest criticism of next week's episode, when we get there. My biggest criticism of next week's episode is that there's just so little time with Ford, and I wish they brought him in sooner. Anyway, now it's time for the Cypher Corner's connections to previous episodes. So, connections for the previous episodes. Stan has seen pug trafficking, which is a crime that was mentioned in last week's episode, the Stanturian candidate. Like the two scenes with Stan, and it's glorious, because he's like, here's some pugs! <laughs> As somebody who used to own a pug, it's, it makes me laugh. When Dipper is hooked up in the mind-reading machine, there are many references to episodes throughout the series. When he says, I miss Tyrone, it's his clone from Double Dipper. When he says, eeny, meeny, mighty you, both Stan and Bill said to him in Torch Trap and Sock Opera, one thought said that red bathing suit man, and refers to Wendy's lifeguard outfit in the deep end, Dipper thinks that he should really use the president's key sometime, which was the president key that got from President Quentin Trimbley in Irrational Treasure. And audio and text from Dipper singing Disco Girl is from Dipper versus Manliness. And there's also the line that Ford that stances about Ford that his brother is a dangerous know-it-all, and that's from Dungeons, Dungeons, and More Dungeons. And finally, the I feel like I've just talked so much. My mouth is like, stop it, you're tired. I'm like, we're almost there, brain and mouth. The cryptogram at the end of the credits, once deciphered, reads, A simple man with eager ears may trust the whispers that he hears. And finally, the flashing page cryptogram reads, In Cypher's game, he needs a pawn. Be sure to know which side you're on. All right, Chris, what's your speculations and theories? Well, I think they strongly hinted that Bill's going to be able to jump from people from person to person in the town, probably due to whatever he's fixing up with Gideon, which makes me immediately suspicious of the sheriff and the deputy. You know why? 
Why? They both wear sunglasses. Okay. They would be the easiest for him to possess because when he possesses people, they get those little hypno frog eyes. <laughs> no, I just, I just, hypno, hypno toad. I mean, no, I just, the re- I laughed because I immediately, uh, I immediately just heard the sound in my brain. Yep, everybody I, I hear, does. Yeah, just the moment you you said hypno toad, I just heard like <laughs> that. That's why I laughed because I just. The words hypnotoad immediately invokes a sound in your mind. Yes. You know what sound. Yeah. If you've heard the sound, you know what it is. The sound of the hypnotoad. Yep. Yeah. But, yep, yep, but yep. like, so, like, you got to watch out for the people with sunglasses because Bill can, you, you can't tell, you know. And if it's the sheriff and the deputy and they're like, let me look under your sunglasses, Bill could look, jump into the deputy and then they go, oh, your eyes are okay, and then jump back and But I, I almost... But, Decide like I was going back and forth about whether or not to actually list the people shown in Bill when Bill Cipher's flashing all the people. No, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I thought no, about that. Yeah, don't do anything. I just thought you would enjoy this. Um, I forgot to note it, but Mabel has a list of good deeds that she's going through in that mo- montage, and one of the good deeds is abolish the electoral college. <laughs> good luck with that. Uh. We came really close to it, and surprisingly, during, I believe, Nixon's era. Nixon, I wanted to get rid of it. it Long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. So, who do you think, because I have a question written here, I lost my spot. He flashed a bunch of people. What are your, kind of, like, your ideas of, like, who would probably be the best candidates? The sheriff and the deputy would be easy, would be good early on, because they would be easy or easy to hide behind the sunglasses and they're around everybody's business. But I don't think it's going to matter as much like there, that there's anybody that's more susceptible to it or whatever, but it will be situational as to who he'll be. You know, it, it depends on what the, the mechanics are. They set up for how he possesses people. Like if people have to, like one person has to make eye contact with the next person or what, however they, however they do it there'll be a set of rules to it, but it'll be situational. He'll be jumping to whoever he needs to. So I don't think it'll be like some people would be able to fight him off more because he seems he had his way with Dipper and with, you know, with Dipper and Ford and other people. So yeah, he, yeah. I have to just say, because the cryptogram for the, for once isn't a joke. The cryptogram is, a simple man with eager ears may trust the whispers that he hears. Yeah, well, that could be almost anybody with Bill. As I said, with yeah. the power dynamic with him, I, as long as anybody has any kind of desires or or weak chinks in their ego or whatever, you know, he's going to be able to play on it. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's Pacifica, that's Gideon. It's everybody. It's everybody. He's tempted Dipper. He's tricked Dipper. He's tricked, you know, he's... He's tricked he's, Ford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's from another dimensional and has inside information and stuff. You know, he's able to read people's histories and stuff. So he he's going to be... He's very Satan-like, you know, very Lucifer-like, where he would be able to play anybody's weakness. It's Gideon's you know? mom, finally free! <laughs> Kidian's mom's like, I'm taking this freedom. It's mine. Yeah, there's a, there's a, yeah, everybody, yeah, there'd be, there'd be a way to, to get Lizzie, everybody, but maybe, Lizzie, maybe Lizzie not. Lizzie Susan's, Lizzie Susan's like, I want more cats. Seuss <laughs> might be the strongest one. We'll see. Maybe, maybe this will be Seuss's moment, but 
Yeah. Yeah. Seuss, 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 Seuss could be tricked with a candy bar, or so it would be tricked with something simple like that. Not, not he like betraying his... He has an infinite pizza. That's true. Well, did you have any other speculations? I do not. Well, I would like to move on. I, I've been sitting on this comment for a while, like it's been sitting on the top of our uh, screen of Heather's comment for a few weeks now, but I wanted to wait for this episode because it actually ties in very lovely with the theme of this episode being unicorns. So our lovely patron Heather left us a comment on our Patreon because if you sign up to our Patreon, you get behind the scenes clips. And these are just like conversations that like Chris and I have like before and after recordings and stuff like that. So a lot of times we like talk about stuff like Star Wars and all sorts of different things or we'll talk about stuff in our lives and you know, it's behind the scenes. So in this one that I posted, I was talking about the origins of Dr. Hooves from My Little Pony. And I was talking about how like he was a fan, an accidental kind of fan main thing because they just had this random pony that just happened to look like David Tennant who happened to have an hourglass on his butt and everybody was like, that's a Doctor Who pony! And, and the Milo people, pony people were like, oh fuck, I hope we don't get sued. Um, so that, that was what the conversation was, but it's like much longer and you should, you know, sign up for Patreon to hear more behind the scenes clips. So our lovely patron Heather wrote back, I 100 support My Little Pony next on this podcast. And then she has three little unicorn emojis. (laughs) Chris's size. Just, yeah, inch Chris into it. Chris, a 53-year-old, 53-year-old guy. I will will say, I have the next few shows planned. I have ideas for these shows, for the next few I do want to bring Chris into My Little Pony at some point. Yeah, I, oh no, I'm 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 not uh, yeah, but I yeah. don't I don't know cuz it's like 9 seasons. I don't know if we would do all 9 seasons. And we actually talked about this possibly being cuz we did a winter commentary. That would be our longest run on anything that we've ever done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As much as I love I love My Little Pony, there are some like later seasons that I'm just not hot on. Like they had good episodes, but like when we get into like the the school arcs and stuff. I'm just not the hottest on this. So I don't know if I could do My Little Pony. But I have talked to, like, something that we were talking about is we, we did Rise of the Guardians as our winter holiday commentary. We had talked about doing the Christmas episodes of My Little Pony. That was something that we had discussed. So as we might not do the whole series, but at some point I do want to show him some My Little Pony. I want to show him the episodes with uh, Discord, who is pretty much Q from Star Trek because he's voiced by Q from Star Trek. And oh, says, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that I, I want to incorporate some it somehow, some way. I just don't know how. So don't worry, Heather. It's it's gonna come at some point. I'll get I'll get some My Little Pony. I I lived through the original My Little Pony, so where it was basically just a marketing tool. You know, like the original Masters of the the original Shira and all those were just like, hey, oh. kids, toy tie-in. So like, I have negative connotations. Growing up, that was like the the toy ca- tie-in cartoon for like little little girls. There was a distinct change in the culture where the people who like started working on shows like My Little Pony and She-Ra like were, oh, what are they called? Writers, like actual writers and like stuff. Like Noel Stevenson, because we are definitely right, talking right. She-Ra so, on yeah, the show. it was a totally, it was a totally, there was a totally different reason for the shows even existing. It's a strange phenomenon. So I'm. I'm actually kind of eager to see it, but I don't know if I'm eager for nine seasons of it. I don't know. I love the show, and I'm not eager for nine seasons of it. 
you know, if we if you drag me in the first season and all of a sudden I get the fever for it and I'm just like, hope we're gonna do this. We're gonna do all nine seasons. Saddle up. <laughs> like after season five, I felt like that was the height of it, and everything after that's okay. So, all right, well. Thank you, Heather, for that. And as I said, Heather is one of our lovely patrons. If you like to join the show and support, join the show. If you like to support the show, you can actually get episodes um, ahead of time. There, they are several episodes ahead of us. And I would like to take a th- moment to thank our lovely episodes. Episodes. I don't know. Episode C. You were like, I have a meeting. I'm like, let me rush. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I'd like to take a moment to thank our lovely patrons, like Heather, who left a comment, Philly, Lynn, Patrick, Bree, Alex, Kate, Brian, Jean, and Bucho. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show and supporting the channel and everything, and you guys mean the world to me, and yeah, I love you guys so much. All right, Chris, what are your final thoughts on the episode? I liked it. It's, it's, I just, I can't get over the fact that, like, it, it, this is the first one that I watched, like, a week ahead of. You know, there was a week because we took the week off and like just sort of the B plot dropped out of my head. And that's the stuff that I would have like. And it was good stuff. But like, yeah, I like the the unicorn stuff the most. And like you said, it's a tight episode because like I was thinking like in my head, the unicorns were taking up all the space. It's like, oh, there was that's right. There was a whole B plot fit into there. I mean, that's pretty much I love this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. It's such a great balance of the A and B plot. And it also gets into like that those character moments of like Mabel and Dipper as well. And it's really good to see Dipper like versus Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and I like the meta around Ford as well. Of, like, yeah, the audience doesn't know him. <laughs> so that's why that's so scary. But that's all I have. So where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That is our website with all of our podcasts, including Jay Guys and Jedi that Hope and I uh, are also doing our Star Wars podcast, which we've brought up. We've brought it up a few times in the show, so they know what's up with that. Uh, we are also on Facebook. We got the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina on there, and you can also find us on Twitter. And our Twitter is run by Gene the Hammer Hendricks, the podcast machine. Da, 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 da. Gene. I, I I just realized it's just cool to say his last name because it's Hendrix. Hendrix. Although it's not spelled like Jimi Hendrix with an X, but that's okay. Is it spelled, it's spelled like spelled... Hendrix Motorsports? Because then it could be. Like my college roommate who is Dan Hendrix. Dan. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but that's where they can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? Of course, this is the podcast, the animation podcast for GeekyGirlExperience.com. You can read all my writings and reviews over there. Of course, I mentioned my lovely patrons who do get awesome behind-the-scenes stuff and can leave comments on the episodes as well. At And you can sign up for that at Patreon.com slash GeekyGirlExperience. Oh, oh, I need to mention this because this is a new thing that I did. Let me, I need to pull this up. So I have made a Twitter account for Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. Up to this point, I've been running everything from my personal account. So now you can oh. follow Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons on Twitter. Oh. And, it's, and it's our initials. So it's HMCWC Pod. And it's short for Hope's, so Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons Pod. And you can follow us on Twitter now. And yeah, but you can also follow me at Hope Molnix. And we have our other podcast, Jay Guys and Jedi, which you can follow at Jay Guys and Jedi. And yeah. I gotta, I gotta sign on to Twitter here pretty soon and just add that one on there. I have a Twitter account, I just don't use it, but I might as well. I link up with all the stuff like that, all the 
stuff that I'm on. So, yeah, cool. So, do you want to hear the title of next week's episode? Sure. The title of next week's episode is Roadside Attraction. Oh, that could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not based off the Tom Robbins and other roadside attraction unless somebody gets a giant thumb in it. I can't say anything. Oh. If it's if it's if it has stuff from another roadside attraction and I'm going to be uh have you ever have you ever heard of that read that book seen the movie based on the book? I have not. It's a b- bizarre, bizarre Tom Robbins bizarre wrote a lot of bizarre books and that being one of them about a girl who's a hitchhiker with a giant thumb born with <laughs> a giant thumb and becomes the world's greatest hitchhiker. Huh. Anyway, so yes. that is next week. It's Roadside Attraction, and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.